I really, I love, love this time of year. I do. And it's not just because, well, it doesn't look that great out, to be honest. Um, it's kind of bad, but, <laughs> um, but I love this, this time of year. I just love Thanksgiving, uh, but really mostly I think I love Thanksgiving because I can finally listen to some Christmas music uh, in public and not be judged so much. I've been doing it for, uh, since Halloween, actually. Um, uh, and really, it's taken everything in me to not actually go out uh, and put candles in our windows and get the garland out and the stockings. And um, Haley's been holding me back saying, we're not ready yet. Um, we got to at least wait for the church to do it before we can do it, too. So that's why I'm excited about today. Yeah. But I do love Thanksgiving, too, just, just beyond getting ready for the Christmas season. And part of that, and probably for you, too, part of that is the memories that I've had from my childhood with Thanksgiving. You know, I'm one of the, the younger siblings. I've got five older siblings, so um, at the time, it was always fun uh, to see some of the older ones come home from college over the holidays, and of course, we'd play games together, and um, you know, Thanksgiving morning, we'd get up, and I'd watch the parade, and we'd even we'd watch the dog show after the parade because you know, we'd want to make fun of the funny-looking dogs, and I'd point to, to Abby and say, you kind of look like that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, we have the meal with the family and all these, these good memories in, in my life that I remember. And I think all of you probably have a picture of what Thanksgiving looks like in your house, too. Some great memories, I'm sure, and then for uh, some, probably some memories you'd rather forget. Um, but all of us have a picture of what we hope Thanksgiving will look like, I'm sure. And if you turn on uh, the Hallmark Channel this time of year, you might see uh, they do have Thanksgiving movies. You'll probably see a picture of what you're told the perfect Thanksgiving is going to look like. Right? You know, the house is immaculate, uh, and the kids are sitting patiently at the table, and they're just waiting for the food to be brought out. And um, it's a full house. Everyone's seated at the table. There's smiles everywhere. And, you know, Dad, at the end, he stands up, and he gives a quick blessing. And, but before everyone digs in, it's, it's time to go around and say what you're thankful for, right? Um, so maybe there's a, there's a montage that you see, and you have little Timmy over there, and he's thanking Grammy for his chocolate chip cookies. And um, maybe the main character looks across at the table, and they're just th- so thankful for the love of their life and that they've never been happier than they are now. Right, you know, the hearts are just gushing and it's overflowing and the family's laughing and everything looks really perfect and then you turn the TV off um, uh, and you think about what your Thanksgiving's actually gonna look like this year. Because <laughs> um, ours didn't look like that. What? <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to tell dad twice. <laughs> um, you know, I loved it growing up, but where is the chaos and all that, right? You know, I still remember one year over the holidays, um, my older sister, they probably already know what I'm saying, my older sister took a sip of coffee and thought it was a little bit too weak in the morning, Um, so she dumped the whole pot in the sink. After my brother made the pot by himself, before he could get a cup. Um, So my brother, obviously he was mad, and he still brings it up to this day. Um, And I'm willing to bet, mom, dad, um, tell me if I'm wrong, I'm willing to bet that he's going to bring it up this Christmas as well. But you know, maybe one person, if we're being honest, in Thanksgiving, uh, in your home, maybe one person, they spent the entire day cooking, and they're exhausted, and their feet are tired, and their bellies rumbling, and, uh, and nobody, not a single person, has bothered to thank them for their hard work. Um, and tempers are probably a little high. And then in the same house, uh, there's somebody sitting on the couch watching the parade with the kids, and then they play the annual game of flag football outside, and it's just, it's been a really good day, and then they come in, and they're ready to eat. 
And then they look at the person doing all the cooking and say, yeah, cheer up. You know, there's so much to be thankful for today. <laughs> That's not a Hallmark holiday, is it? <laughs> um, or maybe there's, there's, there's no dinner at all, right? Maybe you live alone and no one invited you over and so you just stay off Facebook for the day and you don't want to see everyone else's fun with their perfect families. Or you'd rather be alone for any number of reasons. You'd just rather stay in bed and skip the day. And that's not a Hallmark holiday either. And I think the reality is 99 times out of 100, if you have your eyes set on that idealized, perfect Thanksgiving dinner, you're going to come up short. Because uh, you cannot perform your way to that perfection. So how do we achieve that picture-perfect Thanksgiving? That's the question. It's sort of the, the clickbait title I gave you. Um, well, you can't. You can't. Sorry, that's, I know that's kind of a depressing start to this, but you can't. Um, there is no five-step easy process for that perfect Hallmark Thanksgiving. Um, because that isn't what giving thanks looks like. Do you find it ironic a little bit that one day after you're giving thanks, people are trampling one another on Black Friday for the best deals in town? Um, because you won't find that example in Scripture. So forget about Hallmark today. Um, how do we glorify and how do we honor God with our Thanksgiving this year? That's what I want to talk about today. So what are the five marks of a biblical Thanksgiving? So let's just, I want to set the scene for a minute. So you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and with you are the psalmists. All right, so you have Moses, maybe he's sitting next to you. He squeaked in one psalm, so he's good. And you have Asaph, and you get Solomon across from you, and the sons of Korah, and a few folks that you don't know, but they, you know they contributed. Um, and then at the head of the table, you see David, King David, the greatest king of Israel, first king in the line of Judah, and he says, it's time to give thanks. So what does King David say? You know, he's got a reputation. Not only is he a noble king, but we read that Samuel calls him a skilled musician, and he's, he's great on the harp, he's a songwriter. And in 2 Samuel uh, 23, 1, he is called the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. David, above all others, surely has a lot to be thankful for. So what is he going to say? Well, let's listen. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, to Psalm 138. So David, standing at the table, says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And so David, one of the most famous figures in ancient Judaism and admired and beloved, begins his psalm of thanksgiving like this. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. 
And so that, there's our first mark for cultivating a heart of thanksgiving this year, this Thursday. Give thanks. <laughs> Commit yourself to giving thanks. So David recognizes the one who we ought to thank first and foremost. Immediately, without pause, thank you, Lord. And he does it sincerely. He's fully committed to his praise. Thank you, Lord, with my whole heart. And David, you know, he has undeniable resolve to praise the Lord. And he has undeniable resolve to commit his whole life to it. But here's where I may start to challenge us a little bit. Because he's committed to give thanks and to do it publicly against any opposition. Let's look at the first two verses again and then consider for a moment uh, why the Psalms are written. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. And so the Psalm starts off with very personal language, right? He says, I give thanks with my whole heart. I sing your praise. And it feels almost like we're, like we're reaching back in time and then we found a page from David's diary, right? And we're opening it up and we're getting an insight into a moment in his life. And I think in one sense, we are doing that. You know, this is personal for David. It's emotional for David. It really is how David feels in a real moment in time, so I don't want you to lose that. But this personal and private moment that David writes about that expresses his emotions is fundamentally, it's a hymn. It's a poem. It's a song for you and for me. And so picture, for centuries, we have these devout Israelites, and they would sing this song. It's like instead of having a hymnal in the back of the book, you have David's private journal in the back of the chairs. And now, uh, now us, right? All tribes, nations, tongues that proclaim Christ as Lord, we can do that and we can benefit from this public song. It's meant as scripture for public praise and for worship. And it's important to remember that as well. And so perhaps, you know, it's not good enough just to, to picture the psalmist around the table with David this Thanksgiving. But instead, I want you to picture you're at that table and with you is the entire church, the entire body of Christ sitting around the table, and at the head we have David giving thanks. And he stands up, he pulls that page directly out of his private journal, it's a song that he wrote, it's personal, it's dear to his heart, and then in front of the entire body of believers, in front of you and me, and anyone else in earshot, he reads his journal and gives thanks. And in such a large crowd, right, in such a large crowd, he's willing to do so recognizing that there are a multitude of idols or things that we might hold to a high esteem that are competing for the place of David's thanks. The second half of verse one, look at that again. He says, before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, honestly, I can't tell you with full assurance uh, what he means when he says the gods here. Right? This is the Septuagint. It's an ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, it actually translates it as angels. So before the angels, I sing your praise. Um, some say it might even mean like human rulers. So before the kings, before the presidents, before the elders of the land, I sing your praise. And some say it's just, you know, it's false deities. Before all the false gods that we worship, I praise you. You know, and I don't, I don't know for sure because it's, it's poetry, right? So David had a picture in his mind. Um, but like a lot of poetry, I can't tell you exactly what David was picturing when he wrote that word. But what I can say and what I think David's picture is trying to communicate is that there are things in the world today that we hold to a higher regard than we ought to in comparison to God's work in our lives. Whether it's something that's inherently good like angels or whether it's something that's inherently sinful like false gods or idols, 
whatever it may be, uh, no matter how loudly the world may be praising one particular thing, David is committed to singing God's praise. And so this Thursday, in cultivating and preparing your own heart, consider what gods are being praised. Maybe, I don't know each of your families, but maybe your entire family is hostile towards your faith. Where will their praise be directed this holiday? Will it be at politicians or people or things or anything in the world that falls short, falls far short of the glory of God? And will we, like David, will you, like David, against opposition, praise the one true living God? So I want to read what Charles Spurgeon wrote. If others do not praise the Lord, there is all the more reason why we should do so and should do so with enthusiastic eagerness. So like David, my question is, are you ready and are you enthusiastic? If you are, or if you're not, but you want to be, remember, again, the context of the Psalms. They are meant to be sung in worship together as a body. And so commit to give thanks and give it publicly. And then David affirms, Uh, What's coming next with another illustration below? He says, verse two, I bow down toward your holy temple. And so picture those two verses being sung together in the temple at worship. I give thanks, O Lord. I bow down toward your holy temple. What is the response, do you think, of the reader in David's time or the worshiper going to be when they read that? And so it makes me think that for years, I worked as an admin at a 4-H camp. And at the end of every meal with the kids, whoever was hosting would take a five-gallon bucket, and they'd lift it up with all the leftover food, uh, and they would put it on a scale, and then they would weigh it, take it off. Um, They want to know how much food was going to go to the compost. And so at the end of the meal, the host would yell to the kids, what time is it? And then all the kids would yell back, compost time. Super exciting, right? (laughs) Well... Well, I heard that so much in my daily life that it got to the point where I'd be sitting at home on a Saturday and, and Haley would just ask, Jeff, what time is it? Compost time. <laughs> Even at church, actually, here, some of you personally, you might remember this, have asked me and I just said, it's compost time. <laughs> you look at me funny, like, oh, it's nothing. It's a joke from work. It's 11 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> So for me, hearing the phrase, what time is it, that brought out this natural response for me. And I think what David is doing here is doing the same thing. Um, Just like we just sang with our arms up high, with our arms open wide. How many of you, you look around and you see as soon as we sung that, our arms were open wide and our arms were up praising the Lord. And like when we sing, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Next time we sing that, I want you to look around for a minute. And I'm willing to bet as soon as we hit that chorus, you'll see others stand up with their arms high and they're going to be singing with all that they've got. Because that is what public praise and what worship does. That's what Thanksgiving does. It moves us to a natural, heartfelt, soul-shanking Thanksgiving. So give thanks. Give thanks with all you've got in the home. Give thanks with all you've got when you're surrounded by the enemy. And give thanks with all you've got when you're with your brothers and sisters in worship. Regardless of what you think we might think, if you sing loudly with your arms up high. If you need to praise God, praise God. If you need to give him thanks out loud, give him thanks out loud. And if you need to sing his praise before the gods, sing his praise before the gods. Sing his praise before his people. Because the reason... 
that we give thanks and give it publicly is because God is who he says he is. God is who he says he is. So give thanks and remember why you give thanks. In verse two, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And so there's a reason that David was so enthusiastic about praising God. There's a reason that we're called to be enthusiastic when we're praising God. And it's the same reason that we meet here every single Sunday morning. Why Chris and why Henry and why myself, we've dedicated our work and our lives to the ministry. God is who he says he is. Amen? Amen. And so we shouldn't be enthusiastic just because David is enthusiastic. It's because God has made his name known to his people. And when we think of giving thanks to the name of God, right, I don't think of it as being thankful for a name. Like, you know, thank you for the name, Sam. It's easy to spell, S-A-M. Um, I appreciate that. Clive, on the other hand. <laughs> uh, no, so when God proclaims his name, he is proclaiming not just his name, but his character. He's proclaiming his attributes. Just turn for a second to Exodus 34, verses five and six. Exodus 34, five and six. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So this is the Lord proclaiming his name. What does that mean? What does that look like? Next verse. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a merciful, or a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Does that look familiar? Back in the psalm, your name, your steadfast love, your faithfulness. Proclaiming the name of the Lord means look at God's mercy. It means look at his love. Look at how faithful he is. God has shown his character to David, and that is why he praises him. David sees his mercy. David sees his grace. David sees his patience, his steadfast love, and his faithfulness. He's made it clear in David's life. And if we find no other reason to give thanks this week, remember who God says he is. Remember his name. And so David, picture again, he'll be standing around the Thanksgiving table. A whole body of believers is listening to him and he's reading from his private journal and he's reminding us that God is who he says he is. And then I'm sure uh, while he's writing this psalm, he has something very specific in mind, but he says in verse three, on the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. How did God make his name shown to David? On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. This is why David can proclaim his name with such confidence. Whatever that specific moment was in David's life, he saw the Lord answer his prayer. Now, I don't know the specific, but he makes it general enough for us to fill in the blank. So fill in the blank. What prayers have you seen answered this year? Well, speaking of our prayer chain, we look back on that. December 16th, 2021, our prayer chain went out. Pray for baby Sean Delaney, five months old, scheduled for heart surgery. December 22nd, 2021, praise God for a successful surgery. 
January 27th, 2022, pray for five-year-old Levi, diagnosed with a malignant tumor. February 14th, praise God, it isn't cancer at all. Give all the glory to God. March 23rd, 2022, please pray for Haley and Jeff Kulpitz. Haley went into labor in the middle of the night. She's 33 weeks pregnant. Uh, November 20th, he's hanging out in the nursery. (laughs) May 10th, Scott went into the hospital with an infection. May 13th, continue to pray. He's having dialysis, prayers for peace and assurance. June 1st, praise the Lord, his kidney function has returned to normal levels. July 31st, urgent prayer is needed for Asia Brown to be found. August 3rd, we thank God for his protection and presence with his family, Asia was found. August 13th, please pray for Daryl at the VA emergency room waiting for lab results, heart-related symptoms. August 16th, praising God that Daryl was able to come home tonight. His test revealed that everything looked good. All praise, honor, and glory to him. November 5th, pray for Gary Bodette as he is COVID and is high risk. Praise the Lord, I saw him the next Sunday. And these were all a very small sample in a long list of emails, uh, 220, in fact, in the last year. But I read those because praise and thanksgiving to the one true God draws out assurance. And when we know what he has done, we can trust what he will do, right? And just as we naturally, we raise our arms in worship, when we trust God is who he says he is, and remember what he's done and how he's worked in our lives, praise flows naturally from that. And David, David rather shows us that example. He's heartfelt, he's personal, he gives thanksgiving and he gives praise and he does it in a way that encourages and spurs us on to do the same, doesn't he? But he's a king, isn't he? He's a king. And kings are high and they're mighty and they're exalted. So of course, David can praise so enthusiastically. You know, give me a crown and a palace and that'll make Thanksgiving pretty easy, right? Um, Well, just hold on a minute, okay? Um, Let's read what David says about his position and about those like him. So you get to verse four. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. So before we dismiss this example as one that really only fits great men of influence or power or standing, know that we read about a personal call to humility from a king. A king, David, is saying that there is a Lord above him, above all kings of the earth. He says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. All the kings shall sing of the ways of the Lord. No matter the position he was in and no matter the position anyone is in, myself or yourself, there is a Lord above us all, is there not? And the greatest, most powerful person in the world that you know can have the same relationship with God and the same position with God as you. Just like you, David is a sinner. And we have a long list of some serious sins in David's life in the Old Testament. Um, Just like you, David needs a savior. Just like you, salvation was offered to him through the blood of Christ, through the Messiah that had not yet been born for him. And all the kings will come before the Lord in humility, is what David is saying. Of course, from our position, it's easy to tell kings to be humble, right? 
um, from our point of view. So before we call others and higher powers to humility, think for a minute about how the original audience would have heard this as well. How they would have heard it exactly. There's a nuance here that we can't miss. You know, he didn't write that all the kings of Israel alone would give thanks or sing of the ways of the Lord. What did he write? Um, all the kings of the earth would. So that includes the Jewish kings and the Gentile kings. And so he's painting a picture here to ancient Israelites that one day the God of Israel would be worshipped by the whole world, by Jew and Gentile together. And just put yourselves in their shoes for a minute. Because the Gentiles, they're beneath you. Certainly by the New Testament, that was the prevailing thought of any Jew that was reciting this. And so they are being told to sing, and they are singing alongside David, uh, that one day the Gentile rulers would be worshiping God. And so when you read the psalm, or when it's sung together in worship here, we are called to humble ourselves as well. Who are the Gentiles that you are called to imagine praising the name of the Lord? Who in your life could you never imagine praising God? No standing on earth is too great or too lowly to be above bended knee and heartfelt thanks to the true king. No heart is so hard that the Lord could not soften it. We read in the psalm, for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord. And so the same word that is given to you and it's given to me, it's given to King David, it's given to King Charles III and given to President Biden, given to Vladimir Putin. That's the same word that we have. So don't mistake the example of a king as unachievable in David's case. And don't mistake your own example this Thanksgiving when you're giving thanks as unable to change the hearts of the proud and the powerful or to build up the powerless. Because it's not your position in life that matters, it's your heart. He writes, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Do you want the heart of a thankful servant? Have the heart of a humble king, who despite his position, considered himself lowly and desperately seek the Father. Of course, we have King David and King Jesus. In Philippians 2, 6 to 11, the king who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in the human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, kings and not kings, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. And so David is committed to giving thanks, to give it publicly, uh, because God has shown his character to David and he can do so in humility. But now you know, I want to recognize that up to this point in the message, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there might be a few people here rolling their eyes a little bit. Um, because really your advice to be thankful is to be humble and to give thanks. Um, Right now to you, maybe the church is just looking like a bunch of people that's hiding their struggles and just trying to praise the loudest and to appear the most godly. 
Well, I'm not finished yet, so don't give up on me. But I want to recognize, again, that for too many people in this church, this church right now, this has been the hardest year in their life. And that for all the prayers that I highlighted earlier, um, it's important to acknowledge that there were many on that list that were answered in ways that we begged would turn out differently. Um, you know, there was joy in remembering our prayers, but there is pain too. And today there are empty chairs in this church. There are empty chairs around the dinner table. Uh, and probably the last thing that you want to hear right now is to carry on and to smile and to say thank you. And so for you in particular right now and for everyone, know that David made a point to recognize his pain this Thanksgiving. Or in his Thanksgiving. He recognized his pain in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. There's the I statement again, very personal. In a very public setting, he is just being honest. Life is hard in the present right now. You know, consider David's life as king, yes, but we need to consider his failures and consider his hardships. In David's life, you can read everything about him in 2 Samuel. Before the crown was put on his head, he spent years as a fugitive on the run. You know, his best friend's father, King Saul, sought every opportunity to kill him. And eventually, when Saul was killed alongside Saul, was David's best friend, Jonathan, that was killed. And then he didn't immediately get the crown. There were seven years of a divided kingdom. And then finally, when he did get the crown, um, we read on. We know that he had an affair with Bathsheba, and in fact, David murders her husband. We know that as a result, the child of Bathsheba dies. We read that his firstborn son, Amnon, violates his own sister. That Absalom, David's third son, frustrated with his dad, kills Amnon and runs away to the north. And then when he returns, he usurps David's crown, and then in rebellion against his own father, he dies as well. That's three sons buried in David's life. Now, we don't know when exactly in David's life he wrote this psalm. But there are some that we do know, like turn to Psalm 3 this week, when he's running from Absalom, from his own son, his own flesh and blood, he cries out in verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. So David was not afraid to share his pain. David's example of an honest, heartfelt thanksgiving is one where he admits his pain. So please be honest about your pain. Give thanks by recognizing your pain, like David. Recognize your pain. Because when we recognize our pain, we might be reminded of his plan. In verse 7 again. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. And so David, despite his pain, cries out that God is sovereign and that he promises to care for us. How, how do you think David was feeling when he wrote this? In the middle of all his trouble and pain, he sings to God, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. Because it's not easy. It's not always easy to remember that God preserves our life, especially in our pain. His deliverance can feel so far away. And so can you picture David writing these words, singing them alongside others? It's almost like, like a plea for himself to remember that despite his circumstances, God is in control. I will never forget uh, one Sunday here in church as a teenager. Um, it was the day after a, a 
beloved brother in Christ died um, in, a, in a boating accident. It was sudden, there were tears everywhere in the church, on the stage, in the, in the seats. And, um, I watched as a teenager, uh, his widow, in the front row of the church, bawling her eyes out, um, desperately raising her arms, singing as loud as she could in worship. Um, I can't speak for her or why she was there, and I can't share any idea of what her pain felt like in that moment. Um, but on what was one of the saddest days that I remember in this building, I was reminded, and I think we all were, that God is still in control. And so she didn't realize it, um, but that ministered to me and that ministered to a lot of people that day. Um, and David needs to be honest about his pain because he needs the reminder that in his pain, God is who he says he is. And not only is it a reminder of God's sovereignty for David, but for everyone who hears the song that he's singing. For everyone who is singing alongside him, we hear, do you need a reminder of his steadfast love? Do you need a reminder of his faithfulness? Do you need a reminder of his deliverance? Because that is what Thanksgiving is for. We give thanks because he is loving. We give thanks because he is faithful, glorious, and he delivers us. And we give thanks because we need to be reminded of that fact, don't we? And so on Thursday, when you're asked uh, what you're thankful for, don't even be afraid to pull out your Bible and to pull, uh, read Psalm 138. But tell your own story of thanksgiving and deliverance. I want to encourage you to do that. Remind others and remind yourself in the midst of it of his steadfast love. Because we all need to hear and be reminded of this closing verse that he says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So everything that we have read so far, every word of thanksgiving leads us to this confession of faith at the end of the psalm. We have assurance that God will fulfill his purpose, period. Have faith in the plans of the Lord because the love that we just reminded of ourselves will not run out and it never will. You know, last week, even, we wrapped up Chris's series in Joseph, and we read Genesis 50, 20. It says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In other words, the Lord has a purpose for Joseph's life and for Joseph's pain. That doesn't mean, again, that Joseph wasn't crying out for help in the prisons, you know, even begging the cupbearer to remember him when he goes to Pharaoh. And that doesn't mean that there hasn't been a lot of pain experience in this room. And you heard that verse last week in Genesis, and you're hearing it again this week, and hopefully you were encouraged by it last week. Um, but I'm willing to bet that we need that reminder again today, and next week, and the week after that, because we all do. And that's why we have the Psalms. That's why we sing songs of praise, and that's why we read Psalm 138, and that is why we have Thanksgiving. We need to remind each other with our thanks of his love and of his plan for our lives. When we do that, the natural fruit <clears throat> of it is to pray like David prays. A simple prayer to God, do not forsake the work of your hands. When we turn our individual thanksgiving uh, to public praise, and when through that we are honest about the pain in our lives, we enable the body, we enable the church to take on the troubles and the blessings of the individuals around us. And our faith in him, our confidence in him leads us to pray all the more, doesn't it? It leads us to pray for each and every person singing in this room, God, do not forsake them. 
true, honest, public thanksgiving lets us rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, as Romans 12, 15 says. And so is that your prayer this week? For yourself, for your family, for your friends, coworkers, or even for the ones that require a little bit of extra grace? Do not forsake the work of your hands. All right, and here's the cool part. At least I think it's the cool part. Um, we read about David's faith, and we read about his confidence in God's plan, and immediately after that, he makes the plea. So we know that his confidence is not misplaced. There is an assumption here that God will not forsake him. It's implied. Even in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, it says to be content with what you have, for he says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. David's confidence is in the Lord, and that is why he gives thanks. So my question for you is, what is your confidence in? Do you believe that the Lord will fulfill his purpose in you? Do you believe that his steadfast love endures forever? Do you believe that he will never, honestly, never leave you nor forsake you? David believed that God was sovereign over his life. And David believed in the Lord above him whose love endures and would preserve his life not just for earth or on earth, but in eternity. And that same Lord is above us and loves us and preserves us. And then Ephesians 4, or 2, 4 to 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before our hands that we should walk in them. That is why we give thanks. Even if you've never considered it before, today, that is why you can give thanks. By grace, you have been saved. And yes, I'm looking at you and talking about you. If you're looking for a sign, here it is. So we're at the Thanksgiving table again. I want you to picture that. You know what's coming. You remember what we read today. Give thanks. Remember why we give thanks. Do it in humility. Recognize the pain. Realize the plan. The head of the table, they finish praying, and they turn to you. And they say, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, no. Lord, remind us of what we are thankful for. But remind us, like David did just now, and in his life, what we have to be thankful for. Lord, there are so many people in this church, and there's so much that has happened in this last year, and we are in many different places here today. And I just want to pray, Lord. I know that there are folks in this room, and maybe this has been the best year in their life, and it's been awesome, and they've just loved every minute of it, and this is a really easy week to give thanks. And we pray that they would give thanks enthusiastically, and it would minister to those around them on the table on Thursday. 
But we also recognize that for a lot of people, Lord, in this room, this is not an easy week to give thanks. Oh, Lord, even so, Lord, we pray that you would give them the strength to do so. Lord, remind them with your word and remind them with those around them as they give thanks Lord, oh, that you have a plan for their life. Lord, would you give them confidence that you will not forsake them. And Lord, we pray that each and every person here would minister to someone around the table this Thursday. Lord, if there's someone here that has never heard this before, there's someone here today that, oh, they didn't know that you have a plan for them, that you will not forsake them, that you love them, and that all they have to do is come to you. What would you use today as that opportunity? Or would they sit around the table on Thursday, a believer and a worshiper and a lover of you? We just love you so much, and we praise, praise you with all of our heart and in all of our thanks. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.